Alright. Psalm 78, we're going to read verses 1 through 8. Okay. And it says, the word says, Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, showing to their generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He hath done. For He hath established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments, and might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and a rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart all right, and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. So again, we're, we're starting our, our Baptist heritage today, and we just read Psalm 78, 1 through 8. And so we just finished an intense study on what book? I know it's been two weeks, but Hosea. Okay, so we just finished that. And all through the book of Hosea, the people did not obey what God said, did they? And so the Jews in the northern kingdom, they did not take to heed this passage in Psalms 1 through 8, did they? They didn't obey it. They don't obey God's words. And so turn over to Joshua 1.8. Now many of you know this passage, or this verse. Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8 says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein it day and night, that thou shalt observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Now I have a note here that this is really one of the the only promise on prosperity in the Bible. You know, you have all these prosperity preachers out here, but I don't think they're using the Bible for their prosperity. Their prosperity is, send me your money and I'll give you a really good blessing. <laughs> Mark's... Mark's laughing. So it's not going to work well when I tell you guys send me a hundred bucks this week and you'll get a blessing, right? I won't have that. I'm not going to ask for it either, but I'm like, this is the verse on prosperity, but you have to do something to get it. And you don't have to send in a hundred dollars. It says, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein at day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then, after you do it, then you're going to have good success and then you're going to be prosperous. That's what the Bible says. You have to do something to get it and it's not sending somebody money. It's obeying God's laws. Okay? And so, it goes right along with what we saw in Hosea. It goes right along what we saw in Psalm 78, 1 through 8. And then I want you to turn over to Proverbs chapter 2. Proverbs 
And we're going to read 1 through 9. And I've probably already read that in here before because it's one of my favorite passages in the Bible, especially one of my favorite ones today. Tomorrow it will be a different one. But uh, this is a good one because it says, My son, if thou wilt receive my words... This is Solomon talking to his son. He goes, if thou wilt receive my words, and Solomon is a picture or a type of who in our Bible? Jesus Christ. Christ. So this is, this is some strong words here coming from Solomon, even though he messed up. This is pretty strong. He says, my son. Right. And you know what? The same thing happens today. That just reminded me. I remember a man I went to, school with, Bible school, and he says the man that taught us on how to counsel broke every rule that he told us, and that was the teacher. So yes, our teachers can do that. So that's when you know someone in this church or someone you follow, when they go apart from what this book says, then you go apart from them. It's that simple. And I've had to do that in my life. I've had to go, okay, I cannot stay here. I cannot keep following this man because he is not following God's words. Okay? You have to break, make that break. It says, My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom and apply thine heart unto understanding, yea, if thou criest after knowledge and lifteth up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver and searchest for her as for hid treasures, then Thou shalt understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. You have to do something. You have to set your heart to do something. It is to know God's Word and then to obey it. Okay? And again, I'm talking to the choir in here. I know that. I'm just trying to set up where we need to go. So, we find out that when people do not take heed to God's Word, they're going to go down, okay? They're not going to be uh, in God's will. So the people in Hosea, the people in uh, Judah, the people we see in the Old Testament, even though they had God's words, they didn't believe them and, and they didn't apply them to their life. So they didn't believe God's words, they didn't keep God's words, and they didn't teach their children God's words. As a re- result, what happened to the people in Hosea? They went straight to the crash, didn't they? Well, the crash was what? The captivity. They went straight into captivity. Now, I once heard a comedian talk about he was on an airplane. It was a twin-engine airplane, and small airplane. They were going somewhere, and and one of the engines went out. And the pilot, you know, probably just yelled back behind him, "Hey, guys, hold on. Make sure you got your seatbelts on because we just lost an engine. We got to find an airport." And land and said this one person next to him said, Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, how far can we go on one engine? And the guy goes all the way to the, to the crash site. <laughs> okay. That, that's kind of funny, but it's like, and I, apparently they got to where they were going because the guy was telling the story. He goes, we'll make it all the way to the scene of the crash, I think is what he actually said. That's really what Mankind us without God's word. They'll run all the way to the scene of the crash. We see that in the book of Hosea. We see that in the Old Testament. We see that in people's lives today. Because if they don't get saved, if they don't have God's word, they'll run all the way to the end of their life and it's basically going to be a crash. 
it's going to be a crash. So we see the same scenarios happen today. You believe God's Word. (coughs) You trust in God's Word. And then you keep God's Word. You teach them to your children. And then God's going to bless you. Now, if you leave off some of these, you just don't get the blessing that God wants you. And sometimes you can do everything you can right for your children and your children still have a free will. They can do what they want. Okay? So, but the problem, the thing is, in our life, when we, when we believe God's words, when we trust in it, when we keep it, and we begin to teach it, God will bless us. Okay? So how much do you want to be blessed today is the question. You want all of God's blessing? You just want a little bit. Okay? Uh, you may still have problems, but it's okay because, you know, Christ will be with you through that. Um, Hebrews 13.5 is the verse that tells us, you know, that, that God will never leave us nor forsake us. Okay? So when you blow off God's words, you end up out wandering in the field. You go AWOL. You get out of God's mission, and you get out of the game, so to speak. Now let's think about that. When when we stop listening to God's Word and putting His words in our life and we just go live or we put other doctrines in there, uh, God just takes us and puts us on the bench. Because He'll stop using us after a while. And when He does, God... I guess my, what I'm trying to say is God's not the one that really puts us on the bench. It's us. It's us. Because God will take us as far as we want to go. I used to use an elevator illustration. You get on the elevator going up. And as long as you're obeying God, you're believing His words, you're trusting in Him, and you're keeping His words, and you're teaching Him, you're putting that in your life, God's going to just keep bringing you up where He needs you to go. But as soon as you get off of that, so you tell God, wait a minute, I'm done for a little bit. You step off that elevator and God's like, okay, when you want to get back on the elevator, let me know. But otherwise, while you're out there, you know, wallowing in your own uh, filth, I can't use you. And so we'll see people in the Bible or people down through history that may have believed God's Word and then they get out of God's Word and God just, uh, He just puts them to the side. Now, I don't know about you, but I know about me, I don't want to be on the sideline. I want to be, I want to be in the game. It's no fun sitting on the sideline. Okay? So, when, when you blow these, when you blow God's word off and His principles, you, you just get out in the field. You're out wandering in the field. That's what I'm going to liken it to. Okay? You go AWOL. You're out of God's mission, you're out of the game, and you're just out wandering in the field. Now, lost people are there right now. Okay, They're already out there wandering around. Now, a saved person can't be lost, but they can be out wandering in the field. How many of you know people that have attended church that, that you know for the, for, for the best of your uh, uh, ability, you believe these people are saved, and yet they're not following the Lord at this point? Everybody probably knows some people like that, that have just kind of went AWOL. Some of those people will come back to the Lord and get back plugged in, and some of them, they won't. They're kind of like the prodigal son. Okay? 
So, after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, Christ commissions the church. The church. Now, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, discussion on just when the church began. Okay, when did the church? When was it formed? When did it begin? And there's some issues that go on there. But basically, it cannot start until the death of the testator, which is who Jesus Christ. Now, it might have been forming. He may have started with those 12 disciples, and I'm not going to say he didn't, because he sent them out afterwards, became a part of, of the of the church. But it really didn't get enforced until his death, burial, and resurrection. It really didn't get enforced until he gave them the commission of Matthew 28, 19, and 20. It really didn't take force until the the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came and empowered them. So, the... Again, we're going back to the early church here, so I'm just wanting to point that out. And so Christ gave us the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Was that before or after the resurrection? So it's after the resurrection. Okay, so, so the church has started. And so the church basically runs off the same premise as the Old Testament to a degree. Okay? Because they've got a number one, believe God's word now just like the Old Testament Jews. They've got to trust God's Word. they got to keep it, and they got to teach it. Okay, And you'll see that in the New Testament church if you go uh, back to some of the churches that, that Paul founded. And let's go back to 1 Thessalonians. And I'm going to show you what I'm talking about. Because you guys are from Missouri, right? I gotta show you. The show me people. Show me what chapter? Chapter one. Chapter one. I can do that. First Thessalonians chapter one. And then let's just kind of read through this chapter because I want to point out, do these people follow the pattern that I've been talking about? Okay? It says Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus, and to the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. So are they saved? Yes. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. Knowing, brethren, beloved your election of God, for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word and much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that you were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia, for from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus which delivered us from the wrath to come. 
So I use this chapter in 1 Thessalonians to basically kind of show a pattern of how a church is started. Number one, Paul and his team came in to Thessalonica and what did they do right off the bat? They began to what? They began to preach the gospel. So the gospel was preached. The people at Thessalonica heard it. They received it. They believed it. And then they began to live it out and teach it to their children. They began to speak it. And at the very end it says in verse 10, And to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. That's basically the same thing we're doing. We've heard the gospel. We've received it. We've believed it. We're living it out in our life. We're speaking it out. We're teaching it to the people around us. And the only thing left to come is we're waiting for the rapture. Okay, And so they had to do this process basically to be what God wanted them to be. So a church needs to have these steps in it. Okay, they got to believe God's Word. We've got to trust God's Word. And we've got to keep God's Word. Okay, So turn over in your Bible to Revelation 3. And we're going to look at some of these, these churches that we see at the beginning here in Revelation. Now, how many churches do we have here, guys? Seven. Seven, okay. Revelation, let's go to three, I'm sorry. Revelation three, and we're going to go eight through eleven. So, I'm going to throw something out here today. We've got these churches in Revelation. Now, there are three applications to Scripture, correct? What are they? Historical. Historical, Prophetical. Prophetical. And inspirational. Okay? So, we we pull this... We always want to make everything about us. Okay? So, we use these churches and apply it to like modern day churches, which is okay because we can do that inspirationally. Prophetically, we're specifically talking about seven churches in the tribulation. Keep that in the back of your mind. Because we always want to apply it to us, and we can't always do that. Inspirationally, they kind of show us different types of churches that we live around even today. You'll, we'll see these types of churches right now. We saw them in, in church history. We see them right now. But we also will see them. There will be seven churches in the tribulation because the things that they talk about have not happened to the church now. They didn't talk about the church back then. They will only take place during the tribulation. Okay, But what I want to point out is, let's go ahead and read verses 8 through 11. It says, And unto the church of Smyrna... Is that where I want to be? No. I'm in eight. I'm not in three though, am I? Okay. No, I was in two. Chapter three of Revelation, eight through eleven says, I know that it's back up to verse seven. Okay. And to the, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth and shutteth and no man openeth. 
I know thy works. Behold, I have kept before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength. Why do they have a little strength? Because it says, and thou hast kept my word. Okay? And hast not denied my name. Okay, let's keep reading. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee because thou hast, number two, kept the word of my patience. I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation. Three times it says keep, which shall keep which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, and no man take that no man take thy crown. The whole passage there, the context is that this church kept God's word. Now that's part of the group here. You got to believe God's word. You got to trust it, and you got to keep it. Okay, you can't let it go. Keep here means you got to guard it. Now again, this church, we love the Word of God. We print, I mean, we print it, we, we put it together. So I mean, again, I, I know I'm talking to the choir here. If a church fails in even one of these steps, they're going to start going AWOL. Okay? They'll be out wandering in the field. They'll be out of God's will. And they'll be out of God's plan. Not only for that church, but for their life. They may exist, but they're out of the game. Okay? So you may think about, okay, so maybe we have friends that go to other churches, other denominations, and maybe they're not using a good Bible, maybe they're not, is their church, is their church keeping God's word? Are they keeping what it says in God's Word? And, and if they are, then they're doing discipleship, they're doing missions, and they're doing all that. If you're not doing discipleship, if you're not preaching the Gospel, if you're not involved in missions, let me tell you, what kind of a church do you think it is? It's a dead church. It's a dead church. Okay? Um, so... You'll exist, but you just won't be accomplishing what God wants you to accomplish. And that's really what God wants to do. He wants to take good churches and make them void. He makes make them uh, of no use. You mean Satan does. Who did I say? God. God. Yes. I'm glad you said that. Yeah. Okay. Um, so we've seen this happen all the way down through history. We see it happening today right before us. Okay. You know, it's interesting because down through history, when when churches have went AWOL, and I say that, they, they just departed from God's Word. When they've done that, it's like, it's like God brings up another group that starts doing the same thing we saw in Thessalonica. They, they start believe, they receive it, they believe it, they accept it, and they start living it out. And so it's got, God always has His faithful few. Okay? And so we've seen that. It's kind of like anybody in here ever burn leaves? And just when you think you got them all burnt out, then all of a sudden another flame shoots up over here. Or a flame shoots up over there, so you got the rake out there and you're just beating it, you know, all over the place. And finally you're like, pour the water on it. You're like, stamp it out. Do everything you can. That's kind of how God's church is. Satan has been trying to stomp the church out. 
He can't do it. Okay? And even people can't do it. And even when a group goes down, God will bring up a, another group. God always will have His faithful few. Okay? So, down through history we've seen this. But we've also seen that God's faithful churches down through history have been heavily persecuted. And along comes that book there. With, uh, I'm jumping ahead of myself. But God's faithful churches have always been heavily persecuted. The church has always been under attack. In Paul's day, the church had to deal with the Jews who tried to bring them back under the law. Remember, he was dealing with the Judaizers in the book of Acts and the Jews would come in and go, but yeah, you gotta accept Christ, but you know, you gotta come, you gotta, you gotta do the law. You know, you gotta eat certain things and you gotta do this. And so you had those people. Then you had a group of legalists that would come in. They would insist on the church eat a certain way or dress a certain way. And that's even hap- I mean, that's even happening today. And I'm sad to say that happened a lot in good churches. I've seen good, and let me just say this, most fundamental, independent, Bible-believing King James churches today have are doing everything right, but a lot of them are, if you don't wear a certain clothes, you're not in the group, brother or sister. And it's like, they shoot themselves in the foot. They got it all. But that's one thing they're not doing. So how effective are they in getting the minute the gospel out? They're ineffective in doing that. Now we're not to be like the church, but we're not to be weirdos at the same time either. Because I don't see anywhere in the Bible where it says Paul had a three-piece suit on when he went out to all these synagogues. I don't know what he was wearing, honestly. Maybe he had a robe on. I don't know. Now, I know we need to have some type of dress on or some type of clothing on. Let's put it that way. Okay? So we see that happening. False doctrine has always tried to infiltrate the church even from the very beginning. So that's nothing new. And it gets in two ways. One is from man and the other is from Satan. We fight the world, the flesh. And who's the other one? The devil, right? And so... When the church begins to disobey what the Word of God says, it becomes less profitable for him. So once false doctrine gets in the church, that church starts losing its power and its fruit and eventually ends in apostasy. Okay? Many Christians today are in dead churches with false doctrine. They're in a do-nothing and going nowhere church. So just going to church isn't good enough, is it? You go to church to be involved with a group of people that are fulfilling the Great Commission. And when you get off of that, you're just playing church. Okay? Again, I know you guys know all this. So what causes these churches to get off track? What do you guys think? Ego. Ego. Okay. Yeah. We're in Revelation. Let's go back to Revelation 2. The very first church, Ephesus. It says, Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus, Revelation 2 1. 
says, To the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that hath holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and, thou, and how thou cannot bear them which are evil, and that hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and has found them liars, and has borne and has patience for my name's sake, has labored and has not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast what? Left thy first love. When, when you leave your love for the Lord, you're on your way down. Even when you're doing everything else right. One thing gets in, and it just starts going down the toilet. Okay. So every church, again, in the book of Revelation, in those first seven churches there, goes AWOL from God, except the Philadelphian church. And the only reason they don't is because they keep His Word. They keep God's Word. Okay, they start out deviating from God's word and they begin to leave God's word. And the last church, Laodicea, Christ is outside the church knocking on the door trying to get in. So that's the full gamut. We went from, we just started deviating a little bit and then before long at the last one, Christ is outside of the church. Now they're still having church, but Christ isn't there. Okay? And he's trying to get back in. Because why? They did not keep God's Word. They didn't believe it. They didn't trust in it. And they didn't live it out. And before long, it just becomes some a, a ritual that people do. Okay? So you've got to keep God's Word like the Church of Philadelphia. And you have to keep it in your heart, in your mouth, and in your hand. And I've said those before. But I want to go back and look at them again. Uh, let's go back to Deuteronomy 6.6. 6. It says, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. We need to put God's Word in our heart. Okay? And then turn over to Joshua one eight. Now did we what did we read today in Joshua so far? One nine? Or did we read one eight? Okay, let's read it again. Somebody read that to me when they get there. Joshua one eight. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Okay. So where where is the word need to be at first? You read it. One eight. Yeah. Very beginning. What was it? You keep where's the word at? In the mouth. In your mouth. You gotta keep it in your mouth. You gotta you gotta be speaking it. You keep it in your heart, you keep it in your mouth. And in Psalms one forty nine six Let's go look at that one. I'll have one of you read that one also. (coughs) 
Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. Okay, so what's the two-edged sword? The Bible. So we keep our sword where? In our hand. So we need to keep God's Word specifically in our heart, in our mouth, and in our hand. We need to keep it available, don't we? We need to have it. We need to, we need to be having it close. We need to be using it. We need to be speaking it. We need all that. So many people today believe that all churches and all Bibles have been diluted from the original church. So, in our study with Baptist history, you cannot, you cannot have a study on Baptist history without a study of the Bible. Because they go hand in hand. Okay? And so a lot of people today have the attitude like, with the Bible specifically, well, it's been this is man's book. It's been translated in different languages, and you've heard you've heard the gamut. You can't you can't really trust it because it's been watered down through history. How did it get over here to the United States? Yes, so we've heard those. Okay, you can say the same thing with churches. Well, how do you know the church you go to is a good biblical church? Now, I would say a lot of people that's down on the list. They're probably more worried about how comfy are the chairs. How long does a preacher preach? Do they have good refreshments? Do they have good coffee? Okay. I mean, that's on the top of their list before, you know, I ask people when I work in people's houses, you know, because I always, there's two things I talk about when I go to people's houses and I, I try, I have to watch myself because I just want to tell people, number one, I want to tell them about Jesus. And I want to tell them that we're putting Bibles together. I mean, I'm just, I'm just that way. Sooner or later, those two things pop out. And I may find out where they go to church at. And I remember this one lady, she goes, so I'm asking her, I'm trying to build up to where I can get. So I'm asking her, so you, you have a good church home? Oh, yes, we go to such and such church. You know, one of the biggest churches in the country. A mile from my house. Okay? It's not really a church, biblically. But anyway, said so, so. So what? Why? Why do you? Why do you like that church? All of this. The pastor is such a good speaker. He is a fabulous speaker. And in my mind, you know what I'm thinking? Joel Osteen. No, I'm not even there yet. I'm thinking, well, so are car salesmen, but I don't trust them. Okay. Just so he's a good speaker means squat to me. Now that's me. Okay. You know, I'd I'd rather listen to a guy that stumbles all over himself that looks like he just came in out of the field. the field. Yeah, I mean, what does the person say? Not so much how well a speaker he is, and maybe I maybe I have a pet peeve against guys that speak really well because you know I flumber all over myself. But but no, what does? Well, that's true too. That is true. But but yes, the guy that's just so flowery and says everything so nice and smiles while he does it, something's wrong with that dude if he smiles all the time. I'm telling you. And everything's so good. And everything's wonderful. Yes. Something good is going to happen today. Did you guys hear that? Remember? Remember that guy? What? Who's the one that used to say, something good is going to happen to you today? Was that Shuler? Was that Shuler? I can't remember. It's one of those 
yeah, guys. But anyway, it's like, do you get up and try to get to church on a Sunday? Does everything good happen to you on Sunday morning? It's like you're kicking the dog and the dog's biting the cat and you're getting a fight with your wife and you ain't even got in a car yet. It's like, now wait a minute. The other days of the week I don't have these problems, but Sunday just seems to fall apart. That <laughs> so you got a flat tire or the car or the cows are out or, I mean, it always happens on Sunday and it's like, Hmm, but something good's going to happen. Well, it is if the gospel's preached. But anyway, back to where I was at. Okay, but a lot of people, they have the attitude like, well, you know, that the Bible and the church, you know, has been watered down to now. And you really can't trust either one when it comes right down to it, okay? And they lump all churches and all Bibles together in a general sense. And, and again, they make statements like, well, you know, if you can't really trust it, then why in the world even go? If you can't truly trust what your church is saying or what this book says because man put, you know, man's watered it down, why do you even, why, why, why bother? Okay? Some people have that attitude. But on the other hand, Satan has thrown his false churches in the mix too. So then you've got, you've got your just full-fledged cults and different religions out there at the same time. So you've got man attacking God's word in his church. And then you've got Satan attacking God's word in his church. And so that's the two culprits of, of the church. And the false churches and the false Bibles is basically man and Satan. But here's what I want to point out today, and we're going to probably stop. Turn over in your Bible to Matthew 16, 18. See if I'm in the right spot. This is Jesus speaking here. And he says, And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So, again, he's talking to Peter, but he's talking about the, the, the concept of what that Peter believes that Jesus is the Christ. And upon that concept, he says, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Okay, so Christ said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not what? Prevail against it. Christ said that his church would prevail. He didn't say it would fall apart. He did not say it would disappear. He says it's going to prevail. Now turn over to Matthew 24, 35. Twenty-four. What? Thirty-five. Three-five. Again, Jesus is talking. Verse is back up to thirty-four. He says, "Verily, I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled." Verse thirty-five: Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. So Christ said that 
His church would prevail and he says that his words would not pass away. So when you have these people say, well, you really don't have the Word of God, then then take them to this verse. So let me ask you a question. When in history did Christ's church disappear? If we don't have the church that got, that Christ initiated back at the very beginning of Acts, at the end of the, uh, the four Gospels, He says, my church will prevail. And yet, if the church died between there and here, then Christ's words would be, He'd be a liar. How about His word? He said His words would not pass away. We have to have them. Other than that, then Christ is a liar. When you got a preacher that stands up here and says, well, this is the best we got right here. He's a liar. He is a liar, according to Christ. Because Christ said, my words will not pass away. Okay? And so that's very prevalent across our society that people think, well, how do you know which church to go to? Do your homework. How do you know which Bible to use? Do your homework because they're there. You just got to find out which one's the right one. Okay, but the problem is that there are so many people who could care less about the right answer to those questions. You know, yeah. I'll go and I'll salve my conscience this week by going to church. Yeah. And I can live the way I want to live the rest it's of the It's Easter or right. it's Christmas. Or, yes, or I, I go to church to, to fix my sins for that week and I can go live like hell the rest of the week. Yeah, Catholic, Lutheran, I mean, just, I know people that, I, I've actually talked to people that believe that. I can go out drinking, womanizing, do everything I want, as long as I make sure I make it to church and, and ask for forgiveness. That's not what the Bible teaches, okay? You have to do your homework, but you know what, when you do, if you want to search out the facts, God says He'll give you the truth if you look for Him, okay? All you gotta do is look for it. God said He would not conceal Satan's parts down through history. You want to find out what Satan is doing or where he's at or what's going to happen to him? God's not going to conceal it, but you got to look for it. Okay? So, you have to do your homework, but the Holy Spirit will reveal the truth to us if we study the statements out. So all those people that tell you that, we can't know for sure, they just don't want to know. It's the bottom line. Okay? So I've got just about a, a few more minutes. I'll wrap things up. So you have to do your homework. You have to study your Bibles. Turn over to Second Timothy two fifteen. I didn't get near as far today as I wanted, but guess what? We'll pick up again next week. Second Timothy two fifteen. Who can quote that for me? Who can quote that? Anybody? Carrie can probably quote it for me. Study to show thyself approved unto God. Okay. Okay, disciple one verse, right? That word study in that verse, all the new Bible versions take study out. So what does it mean? Nothing. They they put a different word in for study. Do you have any? You can check that out this week for your homework. 
Go back and see what the other Bible versions use. But they take study out. They don't want you to study your Bible. They don't want you to study history. There you go. And, and you, you said that, you know, people don't want to take the time to do it and they're not encouraged to, but our Bible says to study it. What verse was that again? 2 uh, Timothy 2.15. That's a discipleship one verse. We check all Bibles against that verse before we even... You've already done that? Okay. I mean, my Bible app even, we check okay, to make sure that it said... We check that verse. We check that when verse. When we're buying the Bible, even if it says King James 16.11. Okay. Now, now the only one that might say study would be the New King James, but I will guarantee you all the others will take it out. Is it? Okay. So again, somebody doesn't want you to study. We are told to study. Okay. If you do the study, God will give you the truth, and that's like anything else. You want to know what. Thing to buy, or you know, study it out. Go back and look at uh, reviews. Now, now, reviews blow my mind because they're written by people, and they'll say, "Oh, this is the greatest product I've ever had." And the next guy goes, "That's the biggest pile of crap I've ever seen in my life." But you've got to kind of weed through that, okay? But but if you study the situation out, I mean, when when you do anything, when you go to the grocery store, when you have anything, don't you study it out to figure out which one you want? Where the price is the best. Right. You look for a price. But that's not everything though, is it? I mean, think about, you go buy your, your cornflakes. So if you can buy post toasties for this, for 50 cents cheaper, what are you going to buy? Depends upon if you like cornflakes better. <laughs> okay. I'm not supposed to have too much sugar, but when she makes a pan of brownies, I don't look for the ingredients. You're not looking. Okay. <laughs> okay. So. My point I want to make, and I'm going to stop here, is if you want to know the truth, you can find it if you're interested. The people that have all those excuses, they don't want to know the truth. They're throwing their own opinion out, and their opinion is, well, since this is, you know, that's not 100% accurate, it's not God's Word, then according to who? According to them then they become their own God and they can do whatever they want. But if you want to know the truth of the matter, you study it out, God will give it to you. Okay, So we're going to see that in our, our study on, on history, specifically Baptist history down through time. I gave you all a, a Trail of Blood book. Take that home and read that this week. If you've never read this, it's just a short little read. Read on it. And uh, it'll be interesting. And we're going to kind of go through some of those things in the next couple weeks coming up. And uh, we'll see some of the things that he says. There are, we're, we're going to study, there are always marks of a true biblical church. And I'm just going to lump them all into Baptists because that's basically what they are. You know, some people will look at me and they'll go, well, you're teaching that Baptist history is really the only biblical history, true biblical church there is. No, but what that Baptist church churches down through history have believed have basically lined up with what the Word of God is. You take other churches, you can take the Methodist church, uh, you can take the Presbyterian, Lutheran, whatever you can, and look where they stand on God's Word, and you'll see 
what they've deviated from. And when you deviate from the first New Testament churches, then you're an apostate church. It's that simple. It's that simple. So let's go ahead and pray, and uh, we'll get on with our day. Father in heaven, we do thank you for your word. I just pray that you'd help us to be open to what the Holy Spirit tells each one of us about about your word, about a history where where we've come from, and Lord, give us the 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 truth that we need to have not only for our own life, but to be able to tell other people about. Uh, Number one, your word, your Bible, and your church. So we pray for that this morning. We pray that you give each one of us opportunities this week to, to preach the gospel, to, to encourage people, to, to just be the witness that we need to be. Pray for, uh, Brian as he comes with the second message, or the second service to, today, Lord. Give him the words that we need to hear, and then Lord, help us not just to, uh, receive them, but help us to do that. So we, uh, pray for that, and we just ask your blessing on the rest of our day. Thank you for the blessings you've given us last week, and we just ask that, Lord, that uh, you just help us to uh, see the ones that you, you put in front of us and that you do in our life and that we give you the recognition. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Thank you. All right. Praise God.